Welcome to Pragmatic Live, the podcast series for product management and product marketing professionals. I'm Lisa Sork Friedman, and today I'm talking with Peter Hughes, founder and lead consultant at Assessed, about how to effectively apply lessons learned from usability test interviews to a broader audience. Peter's passionate about teaching skills that help companies avoid building products no one wants and then harnessing those resources to build exceptional products. He coaches organizations on how to bring the usability testing skills they need in-house and then to squeeze the most out of those tests. Peter has spent the last 19 years conducting usability tests for industry-leading corporations and organizations such as J.P. Morgan Chase, MetLife, T. Rowe Price, Boeing, Honeywell, Nintendo, the College Board, Hearst Media, and the list goes on. Welcome, Peter. We're glad to have you with us today. Thank you very much for having me. Let's get started by discussing the ways you can transfer the interview skills you learn while doing usability testing to a broader audience. Sure. I think that's a, that's a very interesting question because, you know, usability testing is simply a, a very specific type of research. And I think there are many transferable interview skills that one typically uses in, in a usability test that you can use more generally when you're interviewing, you know, whether it's customers or end users, just people that you'd like to get more information out of. There are many, many skills that I think move over well from usability testing. So at its core, as I said, it's a specific form of research where we look at how well a product performs in the hands of real customers or users. And you run these tests because you want to understand what's going on as closely as you can in the customer's mind so that you can bring solutions that they'll understand, that they'll want to use, and most importantly, that they'll want to pay for. And so to achieve accurate results from your usability test, you need to carefully consider how you set up your test and you execute it. And it's a very disciplined research technique because you're interviewing people live. You have limited time and there can be significant downside if it's done badly. So there's lots of pressure for you to do it well. And if, for example, you inject your opinions into the interview, you'll almost certainly bias the responses you get. And if that happens, then your research will be of much more sort of diminished value. So in my experience then, good usability testing interviews, interviewers make pretty good researchers because they're good at thinking on their feet while staying true to research goals. And there are a few things here that I always stress to the people that I'm coaching, and I think these are important regardless of the type of research you're trying to do. The first one is to be very clear about what your test goals are. So what are you trying to find out and why? Because when you're very clear, your tests or your research or your interviews, they'll have a great deal of focus and it will be clear about what to include and what to exclude. And maybe some of, some of you have experienced that situation of you're conducting an interview and you've been given questions to use and they seem to be going all over the place. And, and that just doesn't help, I think, get the most out of um, the person that you're, you're talking to. You know, keeping it very clear and crisp is very useful. 
I always suggest that you test your test or test your interview script because if you can find some people that are not associated with your product or are related to the topic that you're, you're going to be interviewing about, you'll quickly surface any ambiguous words or questions. And the last thing you want to do is in the middle of a, an interview, find yourself hesitating or having to clarify what exactly you meant. So I always encourage people to look for a few people that are not associated with your project so that you can practice with them. And on that topic of practice, keep practicing because the best interviewers typically have been doing it for a while and there's just no substitute for getting miles on the clock. It'll also help you be more relaxed and natural. I was just curious when you say practice, is that just keep doing the interview as many interviews as possible or doing, you know, testing your test as much as you can or a combination? <laughs> it's, it's actually all of the above. Okay. I mean, obviously, you don't want to get into bad habits and keep reinforcing those. One of the things that I would also encourage, and I'll, I'll come to that in a moment, is, is, is uh, this idea of certainly practice what, what you're going to be using, but also to debrief afterwards. Okay. Because often you'll, you'll be doing your interviews, you know, either you'll be recording them and you can listen to yourself and see what that's like, or if you're working in a team, uh, and and in the case of usability testing, you almost always are working in a team. You, you should, and we always do, debrief between sessions. And that gives us an opportunity to see what's working and what isn't. Because sometimes you just find that a question, no matter how much you try and polish it, for whatever reason, it doesn't work. It, it just comes out wrong for, for, for whatever reason. And, and so in that case, you might decide to change it or drop it. Or you might find, if you're doing several interviews, that there's an opportunity to add new questions that, that might be pertinent because there seems to be a theme that's emerging. But I think that, you know, to get back to your point about practice, I think it's important to practice what you're going to do Practice your technique by doing doing it regularly. Um, you know, it's like saying I play tennis once a year, or that's not helpful. But doing it regularly and getting a coach can help you uh, improve your game. And I think that these things are very important when you're trying to develop a, a good skill, good interviewing skills. Good to know. Now, what are some of the things that you do to get somebody to open up in an interview? Empathy. Developing good empathy with your uh, interview subject is, is so important. And some of that comes from your practice. And if you're very confident about whatever it is that you're, you're interviewing them about, you, you know your questions, you don't have to read everything, read every question out. It's nice when it, it sort of just flows and you're occasionally glancing at your, your notes just to make sure you're, you're on track. 
But I, I also think it's very important when you first meet the participant. Even before that, when you're making arrangements or people in your team are making arrangements for the interviewer to meet you at a certain location, for example, to make sure that everything goes smoothly, that you've communic communicated clearly with them, that they know where to go, what time. If there's a map, you know, you can include, or sometimes it's useful to include a map if it's, if it's an awkward place to get to. And staying in, staying in touch with them, making sure that if they have any questions that you, you answer them and so on. And then when they arrive, that they're warmly greeted. And you may not be available immediately. You might be interviewing someone else, for example. So for a person to arrive at a location that they're not familiar with, you just, you know, think, think about what it's like for yourself when you go somewhere new. It's always nice if you're greeted by someone warmly and uh, you're given a comfortable place to wait, offered a refreshment, those kinds of things, small touches, but they help a person relax when they're in a, a new environment. And I think that then when, when you, the interviewer, are available and you go out and meet, meet the subject, I always take a moment to just gather myself behind the corner, you know, out of sight, so that when I turn the corner, I'm thinking happy thoughts, I'm looking forward to the interview, and I'm looking the person in the eye, reach, reaching out with my hand, you know, I, I want to shake their hand, welcome them, and again, continue this process of, of making them feel like, well, it's a nice place to be, I'm glad I turned up, and that when you start talking to them, that you start with just very easy small talk. You know, how's your day? Wow, that weather is something, isn't it? You know, I mean, it's it's those types of comments that are very low risk. Everyone talks about those sorts of topics. Wow, that traffic, traffic or whatever. You know, it it's it's just an easy way to get a person talking. But for you as the interviewer, this is a very intentional action because what you're doing is you're softening the ground before the, in, before the real interview starts. So what I, what I will typically do is, you know, as I say, ask the easy questions. And then as a prelude to what we're really going to get into, I like to ask a person about the work they do, uh, you know, if, if it's a, a work-related thing, um, if it's to do with hobbies, you know, how long they've been doing it. Again, very easy questions just to get them talking and, and feel good about, you know, helping them develop their own confidence because that confidence is what's going to help you down the track when you get into the meat of what you want to discuss. Yeah, that's interesting to me because, what you're describing really is just common courtesy and good manners, the sort of things that <laughs> if you have responsible parents, they taught you when you were growing up, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think a, a mantra could be just make mom proud. You know, that's, yeah. that's the kind of behavior that you're describing here. Yes, and and I, I think there's there's a, another dimension to it, though, which is is this idea of um, the right mindset, 
Because I agree, I agree with you that, that, you know, good manners and being courteous and so on uh, are, are very much the thing. I mean, you don't want to feel that you're working with a jerk. I mean, that's <laughs> yes. that, so, so that's just the other that, so that's the other side of it. And so <laughs> I think it's but, but but the thing is, you know, I, I, I and I often find this, you know, as 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 I'm as I'm working with with, with people to teach them about interview skills is that you want to be warm and real. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a mindset that you know it's, you're not as an interviewer just robotically reading out whatever questions are on your on your checklist. You know that that just comes over as cold, and you know you you probably will get sort of curt answers. Um, I mean, not 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 people are, are trying to clam up or whatever, but you're trying to have, get them to open up and some some amount of warmth and and keeping in mind um, not only being courteous, but but things like making them feel that they're the expert and treating them as the expert. And even if you're an expert yourself, the interview is not about you. So how do you make them feel like they're an expert? Well, I, I think that's back to the mindset again, because what, one of the things that that I uh, I encourage people to do is to get them to show you how they do certain things or to explain how they do certain things. Now, you may well know or have some very good ideas about how to do it yourself, but the way you ask the question, it puts them in a position where they're the teacher and you're the student. And thinking that way and being curious about their their, their responses. So if you ask someone to show you how they would make dot, 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 or how they would do something, then letting them explain, not butting in and, and uh, except perhaps for clarification, but again, mm-hmm. that's showing, showing that you're being attentive and that you're genuinely interested because you are, you're clarifying. It's demonstrating curiosity. Wow, that's, that's interesting. Can you tell me more about that? Is, is the sort of thing that, you know, if you're talking about your favorite topics or something that you feel you're an expert on, it, it sort of bolsters your confidence that someone's taking an interest in them. And I think that this is something that, you know, we often lose sight of is that everyone likes to shine. And so giving them an opportunity, you know, even shy people like to shine. And giving, giving people an opportunity to speak about their interests or their work and things that they're putting time and effort into, you know, really uh, helps to sort of open, open up the space between you and them and, and give them a place where they feel good about sharing the information that you're interested in. And, you know, this idea of not judging, you know, leaving judgment at home, I've put in my notes. And it happens from time to time. I've conducted thousands of interviews, 
And when you're dealing with people, you can't be sure what exactly they're going to say. You know, a lot of the time you feel, you know, you see patterns emerge when you interview a lot of people. But every now and then, someone will tell you something quite outlandish or just plain wrong, but it's the way they think about the world. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you respond to something like that when you know something is outlandish or wrong? Do you just nod and say, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. you yes. get them to yep. uh, explain a little more? Well, I, actually both. Again, this is where some judgment when I say leave judgment at home, this is where you have to make some, some uh, you have to think on your feet and decide, okay, was that so crazy, what they've just said, that I just want to drop it? Or is it so fascinating that someone could possibly think of that way in the situation that you're, you're working in, that you actually want to dive deeper to understand more about it? And it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it is definitely a skill that develops with time. Your personality, of course, comes into this because, you know, I, I know myself, it's just the way I'm, you know, the way, the way I am, that you would have to tell me something quite horrendous for me to, you know, change my, you know, I, I, I've cultivated over many years this, this idea that, you know, I, I, I don't want to, as best I can, react to what you're saying. You know, I, I might show more curiosity, ask you to tell me more about it, move on to another question. But the moment that you start correcting a person or arguing with them, you're destroying the opportunity to learn more about what they think. And that's usually the purpose of the interview. Mm, good point. So, you know, you can shut down an interview very quickly if you want, if it turns into an argument. So, but, but again, that's not the intent of, of, of the conversation. Most conversations that we, we engage in or most interviews that we engage in, in at work uh, is because we just want to learn more about the person that we're talking to, usually a customer or, or, or some kind of, you know, end user. So the topics are not typically too controversial. But the but the point about correcting someone, you know, is a is a it's a mood killer. You just you just want to avoid doing it and if and, and bite your tongue if if someone tells you something that's complete rubbish because you've learned something in the process. That there mm-hmm. are people out there who actually do think in a certain way, albeit incorrectly, but they're out there. And so that might actually represent opportunity for you. Avoiding the you know, correctness or, or correcting someone is a, um, well, if you do it, you risk the interviewee climbing up or getting defensive. And neither of those are good things. So do you have any tips for pacing an interview? I know you've talked about, um, you know, trying to avoid mood killers. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> like not correcting not correcting sure. someone. Um, sure. What other ideas for pacing could our listeners incorporate? Yeah. 
usually interviews, you know, have a, have a time constraint to them. And, and it's very true in, in usability testing. And, and so I, you know, where we are usually constrained to an hour from soup to nuts. So, uh, in that case, the way I, I deal with pacing, because, you know, some people take longer to form their thoughts and, and to explain themselves or to talk about whatever it is that, that you're asking them about. Others do it very quickly. And so you prepare yourself by making sure you have material that more than covers the time that you've got. Okay. So in, so in that case, uh, and, and, and very importantly with this as well, is, are that your topics are arranged in order of priority. So you want – so if a slow person – you're talking to someone who's a, you know, it's a slow interview, then you're still going to cover the most important issues with them. You just may not get to many of the middle order questions. Okay. But if you're dealing with someone that's fast thinker, fast talker, everything's going very, you know, the pace is very different, you, again, you're covering the, the, the most, you know, the highest priority issues, and you're working your way down through the middle order, and you may even get towards a lot of the, the sort of tail end questions as well. So, you know, th 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 those are really my tips that you just want to make sure you've got plenty of material and um, that's dealing with the quantity. But then there are times when, you know, pacing can be a a affected by, by people repeating themselves. And if they're you know, using up time by basically telling you the same thing five different ways, then, you know, again, by being attentive to what they're saying and recognizing that they are that type of person, you know, the, the skill to be able to cut someone off gracefully and move on to the next, next point is another thing that can affect your pacing. That's good to know. I'm sitting here chuckling inside about the image of cutting someone off gracefully. I mean, that's definitely a fine art. <laughs> I'm just not sure if people know how to do it well. Well, well the, the thing is that, you know, when a person says something once, that's fine. Yeah. And you may dive in and say, that's very interesting. Could you tell me a little more about that? Okay. And if they essentially just repeated exactly what they just said, you may have actually tapped out their knowledge or interest or whatever it was they were going to say about the topic. And then say, thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to move on to another question. And again, you're not being rude. You're not being rude. You're not, not just saying, you know, sticking your hand up and saying, whoa, 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 you know, yeah. um, or making a big deal of it. You're just simply saying, thank you. Uh, I'd like to, you know, or, or maybe you could say, um, you know, another one is to, you know, refer to the clock and just say, you know, I just noticed that we've, we've only got, you know, 15 minutes left and there are a few other things I'd like to talk about. Do you mind if we just move on to something else? And, again, it, these are things that, you know, through practice and, and being in the situation and, 
get a debriefing and you know looking over or listening to your recordings, you can certainly develop the skill to cut people off without them yeah. feeling like like you've been uh, well rude or or destroyed that empathy that you've you've, you've carefully crafted between you and them. Yes, I like that. I like that segue of just now I'd like to move on to a new question. That's yeah. very, very neutral and um, inoffensive. So do you have any other examples of useful phrases for situations that you might encounter in um, your interviews? Yes. I mean, I, I, I think that there are situations often where the person that you're interviewing will seek reassurance uh, from you, uh, or they'll want to know what you think. Ah. Not, n- neither of which is relevant to most interviews, because again, the focus is on what they think. And so, in those cases, you know, recognize, you know, someone literally just says, uh, "Peter, what do you think about?" Dot dot dot. Mhm. I say, well, at this stage, I'd really like to get your thoughts first. And if we have time at the end of the at the end of our session, I'd be happy to share my my thoughts with you. Again, you don't want to throw in your thoughts ahead of theirs because that's going to bias or, or very likely going to bias the situation, the, mm-hmm. the the interview and the information that they give. You know, you've tipped your hand ahead of them, whereas you want them to always tip their hand first and be genuine. Be absolutely genuine. I mean, don't say you're happy to discuss it with them afterwards if you're not. <laughs> so do you no, ever because... have time at the end of a session to tell someone what your thoughts are? Rarely. And often <laughs> they don't they don't ask. Yeah. So 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 the thing is, you know, it it's sometimes uh, a, a a situation that the participant wants to you know, they they want confirmation or reassurance that they're going in a, in, in a good direction. It's not that they necessarily want to discuss it with you. But again, yeah. I would always put it back to them and just say, well, you know, we, I'm, I'm just very interested to know what you think. And uh, if we do have time at the end, I'd be happy to discuss it with you further. And that's usually enough of a sort of confirmation that, that they haven't said anything so crazy. Yeah. It, 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 and in some ways, it is a an affirmation uh, of of you know their knowledge, their whatever the topics. But putting it back to them is what you know is, a, is again as a, a skill that takes a little while to to develop. Just simple mm-hmmms or ahas are good phrases to just keep practicing when someone's talking. Yeah. Again, you're not saying yes, no. I like it, I don't like it, or you, there's no judgment in there. But just a, mm-hmm, you know, it, it, it signals that you want more information, that you're engaged. Uh, you know, it's like listening to those little beeps on, on recordings. You know, when companies tell you that they're recording you and you hear a little doo uh every so often, you know, it's 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 the interviewer's equivalent that just shows you're there and you're paying attention. Now I know. I, yeah. Let me ask you. Um, 
you, you ta you've talked about the importance of being prepared and having more materials than are necessary to cover the time that you have scheduled. But how do you mm -hmm. deal with interruptions and, and distractions that you might not be able to anticipate, whether they're te technical glitches or somebody yeah. entering okay. the room accidentally? Well, the entering the room accidentally just shouldn't happen. I, I put that down to to preparation and putting okay. signs on the door. You know, if it's a very, if for whatever reason, it's a very sensitive interview and uh, you absolutely want to make sure that you don't have anyone, you know, stick their head in. Um, again, it's a bit of a mood killer sometimes because you've now got to, you know, you've lost your, your steam if, if there's an interruption. So you might even post someone at the door have someone waiting outside, making sure people don't come in. I mean, that's, that's on the more extreme end. But again, it's part of preparing the environment that you're going to conduct your interview in. You know, when you see studios, when they go on air, you know, they have a big sort of on-air sign that lights up and so on. And, you know, it, you're, you're signaling to people not to come in. But with yeah. technical glitches, I mean, if, if you're doing anything, if you're doing any kind of interviewing, that has a technical component to it. If someone's showing you how they operate a piece of machinery, or in my world, it's, it's all about software, whether it's mobile or websites, typically. It's absolutely key, I think, that you prepare yourself for the device going up in smoke. And I've literally had one mobile device that did emit some smoke. Obviously, couldn't be used any further, uh, so, you know, we had to have a spare one on hand. Again, it was identical to the one we were using, and we were able to conduct, you know, conduct the study quite quickly. But if wow. you're dealing with websites, what I do is I will bookmark all the pages that I need, and I'll save them as a group, and in the event that somebody inadvertently closes a closes the browser or you know some glitch happens uh, sort of I'll put in loosely user error occurs you can again get back to where you were very quickly with just one click if you open the group group of tabs for example mm -hmm. and you know it's it's that kind of preparation for disaster recovery that can really show you, uh, you know, who, who the professionals are against the, the hackers. Because for a person to take a, a, a glitch situation and get the interview back on track quickly shows that you're prepared, that you're confident, that you're in control of the situation. And all of this really helps to keep that empathy that you've developed with the participant going. You just don't want that steam to evaporate because, you know, when it does, it takes a while to, to come back if you can get it to come back. Mm -hmm. And, and if, you're, if you're sort of running around like a headless chicken, oh my God, you know, I what do I do? You know, um, I, I, you know this, this is a disaster. Ooh, I think I pressed this. Ooh, no, that didn't work. I pressed that. And, you know, and, and you, just, you just come over as I'm prepared, basically, and, you know, your stress then becomes their stress. 
so again, I, I, I think that that sort of preparation is, is really important that you, you know, that you do take steps uh, if technology is involved to, to cover glitch situations. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Peter. I appreciate you sharing these key techniques for creating an environment where interview participants will feel more comfortable and open up. And all of these skills that we've talked about in usability test interviews are definitely transferable. I know just the preparation for those interviews is important, I think, for any business meeting, any product that you're developing, any launch that you're involved in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I absolutely think they are. And it's been a pleasure speaking with you, Lisa. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Take care, Peter. To learn more about interviewing techniques, check out our website, pragmaticmarketing.com. We've got articles, webinars, ebooks, and white papers to help you become more market-driven. You can also check out our podcast notes to find links to Peter's webinar about usability testing and to his article about usability testing in the summer 2015 issue of Pragmatic Marketer. In addition, Peter is offering the Pragmatic Marketing community a 26-page printed guide titled How to Interview Like a Pro. Not only does it cover a lot of the information we discussed in the podcast, but also additional information that interviewers should find helpful. The guide is available at uxinterviewsecrets.com. 